Do you know that uh, the average American has at least 35 conversations a day? And I know the introverts in this room are going, that's way too many. I don't want to have that many conversations. Extroverts are going, I wish I had more. But the fact is, the average person has 35 conversations. Did you know that 25% of every person's life, at least 25% of our lives, are spent talking? 25% of your life is spent talking, whatever that is. Um, We speak enough words in a year on average, to fill a 53,000-page novel. Each of us, we speak so much, we could fill a 53,000-page novel. I was thinking about this. When people go on diets, they want to lose weight, like me, right? And, you know, you want to be fit and look like me, right? (laughs) Just kidding. You, uh, you typically what people do is they count their calories, so you'll keep a log of all the food that you eat, maybe the carbs that you eat, et cetera, and you break it down. And if you've ever done that before, how shocked are you at the end of the day on how much food you actually put in your body, how many snacks, how many of this? You're going, whoa, I didn't realize I actually ate that much. And we count those calories. And I got, it got me to thinking how shocked we are there. How shocked would you and I be if we kept a count during the day of how many times we complained, how many negative words came out of our mouth, how many unedifying words for people, things that we think, things that we speak, complaints, all of that, would we be shocked? Pretty sure I would be. Maybe that's a good idea, you know? And we're in a, we're in a series called Detox, and what we've been doing is we're trying to detox from negative influences in our life, negative uh, relationships, negative uh, influences, negative you know, uh, thoughts in our life. We've covered a lot, of, a lot of topics of things that we want to detox those poison things out of our life. Something that's toxic is something that's poisonous, and it can lead to death if it's ingested and so forth. And so we're today going to talk about overcoming toxic words in our mouths. Let's look at uh, the passage for today, and that's in James chapter 3, the first 12 verses. James is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this. And James's letter is a, it's a tough letter. James isn't playing around with, with playing, uh, the, playing the role of a disciple, but really what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, Not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Somebody else want to take this from here? I I read that and I think, wow, I mean, there is a a sober-minded understanding of people who preach the word, teach the word. He goes on to say, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. 
It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole, it can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless and evil. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So we're gonna talk about overcoming toxic words, and I thought some other potential titles of this message could have been me and my big mouth. Anybody relate to that? How about oops, I said it again? I think that was a hit song. <laughs> Fire in the hole, man, there it is. In this mouth that God gave us, we gotta learn how to overcome toxic words. A couple things I see from this passage, first of all is this, you can write this down. Our words have the power to direct our lives. Words have the power to direct our lives. Apparently, some people in the church that James is talking to, they wanted to be teachers. They wanted to stand in the pulpit or, or teach the Bible somewhere and teach, teach scripture. And uh, he was warning them that people who teach have the power to direct lives. And immediately when I say that, I would plead with you, would you please pray for every person in this church that is somehow teaching the scriptures? Myself, Brian, Mark, all the Sunday school teachers, all our home group leaders who are opening the word and directing people's lives with the word. We need prayer. And because of this strict judgment that he's talking about here. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit. And a small rudder can guide a ship even though the winds are pulling in one direction. That, that rudder can make it go, you know, fight through that. My words lead my relationships in either the right or wrong direction. Catch that. Your words, my words, are leading our relationships in the right or the wrong direction, one or the other. How we speak determines that. It's either in the the wrong direction or, or our words are also determining our attitude, determining our attitude. I uh, came across something that I thought was kind of funny that you might appreciate. Did you know that... Um, studies show that wives who carry a little extra weight, they live longer than their husbands who tell them about it. <laughs> oh, I was, whew, I was practicing that one or I didn't know how that was going to hit with a thought or not. If you've heard this before, just bear with me. It's worth repeating. But I don't know if you had ever heard about the, the guy that wanted to be a monk. He signed up to be a monk. He joins a monastery, and the, the head monk come to, comes to him, and he says, you're not allowed to speak while you're in this monastery. You're committing to you get to speak two words a year. So, and I'll come to you, and you get to speak those words. The other time, you have to keep your mouth shut the whole time. Guy's like, okay. So a year goes by, and he has to go meet you know, the head monk, and he says, okay, you're allowed to speak your two words. And he said, he's trying to explain whatever's going on in his mind, and he just says this. He says, 
bed hard. So obviously he was having trouble sleeping, didn't like his accommodations. And another year goes by. And he, he, he says, okay, you're allowed to say your two words. And he says, food bad, food bad. Third year comes by, and he meets with the, the head monk again, and he says, okay, you're allowed to say your two words. And he goes, I quit. And the head monk goes, good, because all you've done is complain since you've been here in the first place. So <laughs> our words determine our attitude, and it, it directs our lives. Another thing I see from this passage is our words have the power to destroy or to delight. Our words have the power to destroy or delight. He says, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. You know, set a forest on fire. A tongue is a flame of fire. He's talking about the power of our words, the power of our mouths, and what we say can destroy or it can delight. Do you know that the the great Chicago fire of the turn of the last century. Do you know how that fire, it burned the whole city of Chicago down? Think about that. A whole city was destroyed. They traced it back to a cow kicked over a lantern in a barn that burned up the whole, whole city. I, I was thinking about back in 2012, the Waldo Canyon fires that we experienced here in Colorado, down in Colorado Springs. From June 23rd, 2012 to July 10th, 2012, it burned, that fire burned over 18,000 acres, up to 30 miles it burned. This fire was that big. There was over 32,000 people evacuated from their homes. There was over 346 homes completely destroyed. $453 million worth of insurance claims were made through the Waldo Canyon fire. A little spark, maybe someone cigarette out the window. I don't know if they ever discovered how they actually started, but the conditions were there. A little spark ruined all of that. Made me think of the great theologian, Smokey the Bear. He said, only you can prevent forest fires, right? You never knew you'd hear him quoted in church, right? But relationally speaking, there's some truth to that. The forest fires that happen in our key relationships, in our homes, at the workplace because of our mouths and the things, the toxic words that can come out of our mouths. Maybe you heard this growing up, you know, what are you, stupid? You know, some little kid hears that growing up, that scarred their life. It's toxic. Maybe in a marriage, you have some struggles, you have some, some trouble you verbally say out loud to your spouse, maybe I married the wrong person. And they begin to hear that and start wondering, is this gonna make it? And it's toxic. And it's as a little spark can set a whole forest on fire, we can trash a relationship pretty quick as well with those words. How many enjoy bumper cars when you go to the amusement park? Love bumper cars, right? When you're in a bumper car, you get to ha, 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 bam, smash into somebody, chase people down. And I'm that guy at the bumper cars, like everybody's like, man, stop bumping into me, you know? But how cool would it be in the middle of traffic one day, you're in rush hour and you had a bumper on your car and you could just get up, thank you. And some people, would, that would be very, 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 very enjoyable. <laughs> Driving reckless would feel good sometimes. How many agree? Driving reckless would feel good. 
Here's how I want to tie this together. Speaking reckless words might feel good sometimes. You think you have a right or you've earned it or you're mad enough or whatever and you speak those reckless words and it might feel good, but you're destroying life. You're destroying relationships with those words. Here's the positive side. Our words have the power to destroy, but they also have the power to delight. The proverb says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. At the end of that passage that I read from James, he talked about fresh water and he talked about fresh fruit. And fresh water and fresh fruit delight. It brings you know, goodness to us. We need to excel at encouraging. We need to excel at, as, at encouraging. Here at church, in the home, if you're a parent, if you're a friend, man, we need to excel at this encouraging thing. I mean, how many people are still reeling from the lack of encouragement they didn't get at home as kids? And it affects us into our adult lives. We may not know it, we may not say it, we may not realize it, but it is affecting the way you relate to other people. Because if you didn't hear what you could be, and if you didn't hear about the good things and the positive things, and all you heard was the negative things growing up, it's made you and shaped you to who you are today. My good friend Troy Eggers told me the other day, we were talking, and he said, we need to forecast the future for people. Forecast the future. Speak it out. Tell, let's speak out what they could be. I love John Eldridge. He wrote the book Wild at Heart, and his wife wrote the book Captivating. And the, the crux of, of Wild at Heart is, is especially a chapter on, they call it the father wound. And that, that men, when, when boys don't hear from their dad this phrase, you got what it takes, son. You can do this. When boys don't hear that from a father figure, Maybe it's not your actual physical father. Maybe your father passed away early or whatever, but a, a masculine voice into your life saying, you got what it takes, you can do this. When we don't hear that, and we grow up as men wondering, do we really have what it takes? And we grow up wondering. And in the other book, Captivating, um, they, they talk about that the role of a father in a, in a daughter's life is to speak to, to your daughter, you're lovely and you're lovable. Every girl needs to hear from their dad, you're lovely and you're lovable. Because if she doesn't hear that from you, dad, she's going to try to figure out whether she's lovely and lovable from all kinds of sources outside. Media, TV, uh, magazines, you know, young boys, whatever it is, she's going to try to hear that. And that's our responsibility to speak that into our kid's life. And I'll tell you this. I had a pretty amazing experience not too long ago with my oldest daughter, Chase, who's, she's in Bible college in Hawaii, suffering for Jesus. And, um, but her and some of her friends, and I'm, I'm telling you this not to brag on me, please, I'm, I got a lot of work to do in my own life, but I wanna encourage you, every dad in here, every mom, every person in here, that our words have the power to forecast the future. And she told me, she read this book, and if I break down, just let me go with it, right? But she told me, they read the book Captivating, the, the one where the crux of the, the message that needs to be spoken as a dad to a daughter is you're lovely and you're lovable. And I, she said they were reading that book. 
And she said, Dad, thank you for making sure I knew that I was lovely and lovable all my life. I don't have that wound that I carry around that I see in many of my friends that are, that are my age. First thing I thought is, wow, maybe I actually did something right in my life, you know, but keep that. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's speak words that speak life and resist those deadly, poisonous, toxic words that steal life. It's hard. And in this message this morning, God's challenging you, he's challenging me, and he's going to convict you. Don't let the devil come in and begin to just raise all the old home movies of all the bad things that have happened or things that happened in your life. You get a fresh start in Jesus. You can have a new, be- new beginning today through the forgiveness of the cross, through the forgiveness of what Jesus did for us, and have a fresh start and move forward. You don't have to live in the past anymore. So if, if God convicts you, good. That's a good thing. So let's make a fresh start together in that as well. And then lastly, I see this. That our words display what's in our hearts. Our words display what's in our hearts. They direct our lives. They have the power to delight or destroy. And and they actually display what's in our hearts. How come when you go to the doctor, one of the first things the doctor has you do when you do a physical is stick out your tongue, right? And a doctor can tell a lot about your health by examining your tongue. Totally spiritually speaking. We can examine our lives and let the Lord examine our lives by the words that come out of our mouth, by examining our tongues, the things that we say. James talks about that we, we can curse God, curse, praise God on one hand, and we can, you know, curse man who was created in the image of God on the other hand. And we do this tug of war that goes on. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 12. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Now check this out. This is harsh. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Now, before you freak out on Jesus, uh, on his words there, the context is he was speaking to the religious leaders of his day. So there, there were guys that, 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 that were you know, in control of, of the religion and what they did and how they expressed you know, Judaism. And these guys had gotten way off track of what God had really set in place for what what it meant to have a relationship with God. And they actually had just told Jesus and spoke of him that the miracles and things that he did were done through the power of Satan. That's why he called him a brood of snakes. That's why he said that to something harsh to him. He was like, your hearts are so gone. You don't even know what you're saying. He's saying by your very words, what you say on judgment day, you're either going to be acquitted or condemned. And I think about that for us. These religious leaders trusted in their outward religion to be right with God. They trusted in all the outward things, cleaning the outside of the cup and not letting God have their heart. They trusted in their own abilities. I thought about those words. Either your words will acquit you or condemn you on judgment day. We've all failed. 
My words, I've spoken words that I shouldn't say. I mean, we all have. All of us are guilty in here. We need mercy. We need grace. And that's the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and paid a criminal's death with his life. We're gonna celebrate that when we take the communion table here in a minute. But he, he died a, a brutal death in our place. He atoned for the sin of sinners like me and like you. He atoned for those m- m- words. And so when we stand before Almighty God, the word to say is Jesus. It's mercy. It's say Jesus. When you're trusting in him and you're hoping in him, you have been forgiven of all those sins. And you get that power. And that's the starting place. Christianity is not a religion of self-help or psychology. Although it does help your life and it does change your mind. But first and foremost, Christianity is a rescue religion. It's God came to us to rescue us from a life of destruction here in this life and to be separated from him in all eternity. He came so that we could have new life in this, this life and eternal life in the life to come. I remember having a friend growing up in elementary school. His name was Chris. And I remember one day being at his house and he, he said a cuss word in front of his mom. I don't remember what he said, but he, he said a cuss word. And his mom went like this, She's pointed to the kitchen sink, you know, you're one of those. And he walked over to the kitchen sink and grabbed the dish soap, the palm olive, poured it in a glass, go, 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 chugged down the palm olive. She was washing his mouth out with soap, right? To clean up those darn curse words that came out of his mouth, scrub it out in there. Wouldn't it be great if you could just with your toothbrush clean up your tongue and the words that you say and have that boom, out pops Jesus and we're all good, right? It doesn't work like that. Drinking a glass of soapy water is not going to change. It's got to come from the heart. The things we say are coming from the reservoir of our hearts. How do we detox our words? I'll finish with this. A couple things. First of all, let God's words change your heart. Let God's words change your heart. I mean, it's so, it it sounds simple, but it's not the easiest thing that we do. I love what Steve was sharing this morning about spending more time in the word. You got to train yourself to spend time in the word of God. You got to uh, learn, if you wanna, if you know today that you speak words that don't speak life and God has his finger on that in your, in, in your heart today, self-help's not gonna get it done. It's the word of God in your heart convicting and changing and directing you. That's what will change you. So you gotta catch yourself. Give people around you permission. If you're married, let your spouse tell you when you're speaking negative or you're not speaking life or whatever, they're your biggest accountability partner. Let a good friend help you to speak words of life. Look what it says in Colossians. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, knowing God's word changes your perspective. Sometimes we're frustrated and we say things out of frustration because we haven't spent time letting the word of God cleanse and detox our hearts. That's why it's a daily 
daily thing that we need. We need to know his promises. We need to know our identity in Christ. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Honestly, the reason a lot of people don't love their neighbor is you don't love yourself or you love yourself too much. <laughs> I mean, it's a catch-22 there. And we need to let God change that in us. Second thing I would tell you if you're gonna detox your words is think before you speak. Think before you speak. Duh, right? Wouldn't that be good if we could actually think before you speak? I, I seriously have this picture in my mind. I'm one of those people that thought comes in my mind and there's like this slippery slip and slide that just whoop, the words go right from the brain out the mouth. And it just, had, it just whoop, it happens so quick. But Paul says this, challenging word. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. There's a good little acronym to remember the word think as some simple points to think before you speak. First of all, ask yourself, is this truthful? Is what I'm saying truthful? You ever notice how easy it is to stretch the truth, to, to lie? Why is it wrong to lie? This is a good thing. If you're a parent, teach your children why it's wrong to lie. And it, if you just say, because I say so, or something like that, that's, that how does that work for you? Ne that never works, right? It's wrong to lie because God is truth. He is truth. So a non-truth is the opposite of who God is. So when he commands us not to bear false testimony, not to lie, it's because he's truth. But why do we lie? We lie mostly to avoid consequences. So if, if I can avoid getting out of trouble with you know, my family, my spouse, my boss, whatever, then I can get out of these consequences by not telling the truth. Um, or we, we try to, uh, we're inconvenienced by something. You ever said this before? Hey, tell them I'm not home. And you're standing in your home. Tell them I'm not home. In other words, I want you to lie for me right now so I don't have to do whatever it is I want to do. Well, it's not truthful. Or how about this? We say, I'm not sure, but I heard, dot, dot, dot. I'm not sure, but I heard. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about somebody and we have the power to, to ruin a reputation. We have a, gossip has the power to separate close friends. All of a sudden you have this warped view of somebody. You don't even know if it's true. We don't even know if it's true. And we're looking at somebody through the wrong, the wrong set of eyes. Because I'm not sure, but I heard. That's the old telephone game, you know, you start with 10 people and you say something to the first person. And it's hilarious by the time it gets to the 10th person, it's, it's altogether different. And then ask yourself the question is this, is it helpful? Is what I'm saying helpful? We need wisdom when to speak. Some of you may have heard this, heard this story, but it's, it's worth repeating. Um, many, many, many years ago at another church that I served, um, I was kind of like the backup teacher, backup preacher. And I remember one night, the, the message, I didn't teach it, but the message was spoken about forgiveness and, and, and thinking better about people, one of those kind of messages. And there was this dude that came up to me at the kind of the prayer time, and he said, Scott, I just need to let you know. He goes, I don't like you. 
I actually have never liked you and I hate it when you preach and I've thought all kinds of bad things about you. Maybe I've gotten better since then, I don't know. But he said, you know, I, I don't like how you, this and that. I just think we have a different view of, of the Bible or whatever. And I was like, oh, th thank you for saying that. I, I feel a lot better right now. And in that moment, I thought all the brother had to do was go to God and say, you know what, God, I've thought bad about Scott, and I repent of that, and I want to help me to see him differently, whatever it is. The wisdom was to come to me. Now every time I see him, he's not in this church, but every time I would see him, I would say, oh, there's the dude that hates me. There's the guy that has a little doll at home that he pokes, and it looks like me, and has a goatee, and whatever. <laughs> he's, uh, and it, it just ruined a relationship. It was not helpful. He thought he was being helpful. He was actually being hurtful. So in your situation with your words, is, this is, it, is it helpful that I say these words? Can I speak it in love? Is it inspirational? That's the I in think. Is it inspirational? Believe the best about one another. Speak the best about one another. Let's never in this church not believe the best about one another in here. Let's never not believe the best. Let's be, you know... Let's excel at loving and forgiving and caring and, and making room, like Paul says, allowing for one another's faults and, and quirks. But does your words inspire people to, to, to do better, to draw closer to God, or, or do they do the opposite of that, uninspire? Is it necessary? Ask yourself that question. Is what I'm saying necessary? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt you. You're right. That's not true. Words have the power to hurt, and they have the power to hurt deep. That's why Scripture says over and over, be slow to speak. Think before you speak. And then is, it, is this kind? When you think before you speak, ask yourself the question, is what I'm about to say kind? We need to replace careless words with kind words. We need to offer a soft response to harsh words. And it's a bad habit that needs to be broken. If you're a person that continues to speak unkind words, it's because you allowed that to become a habit. And that habit has to be unlearned and retrained. How about when somebody insults you? How about when somebody speaks an untruth about you and you, you're being misrepresented, a false accusation? What do you do? Do you fight back with, well, yeah, but you and boop, 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 you know? We have to watch ourselves on that. God wants us to speak words that are kind. Last thing I would tell you is this. If we're going to detox from these, bad, overcome toxic words, allow God to direct your words. Allow him to direct your words through two main vehicles. The first one is prayer. You can write that down. Prayer. Look what the psalmist says. He makes a prayer. He says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. <laughs> take control of what I say, Lord, and guard my lips. In other words, don't let me say things that are critical. Don't let me say things that are judgmental. Don't let me say things that are complaints. Don't let me gossip. Don't let me say something, God, today that I'm going to regret. The old foot and mouth disease. Lord, help me. And I was thinking about this. It's hard to be in an attitude of prayer and speak unkindly to people. It's hard to be in an attitude of prayer and complain. It's hard to be in an attitude of prayer and, and be mean in our words. So stay in an attitude of prayer. God, wake up in the morning. God, would you take control of my mouth? 
guard what I say. Let me speak words that speak life and truth today. And then the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct your words. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said when he comes, and he's here, he's in every follower of Jesus, says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not too long ago, me and, me and Darcy, we went golfing. I don't know if you know if you even remember this, Darcy, but uh, Darcy's the very handsome gentleman in the front row right there with the red shirt on. And Darcy likes golf, so Darcy took me golfing. And we were, uh, we were golfing, we got paired up with two people that we didn't know. We showed up at the course, got paired up with two guys. And as we're golfing, these guys are like swearing, telling dirty jokes, and on and on. And me and Darcy are just kind of like, you know, we're, we're just going with the flow a little bit here. We get to about the fourth hole or something like that, and we're teeing off. And they, they began to ask us what we do for a living. <laughs> and so I told them, I said, I'm a pastor. They were like, oh, I'm so sorry. If I would have known you were a pastor, I wouldn't have said these things. I'm so sorry. And it's, it's funny when you're in my role and my responsibility that how holy people get once all of a sudden they know you're a pastor. It's like, oh. And I was like, man, it's not like I haven't heard those words. I mean, yeah, stop saying I'm great. But, you know, I'm not the Pope. I'm not Jesus. I don't wear a hat or anything like that. That, you know, be, be real. I want people to be real. And that's an that's a important thing for me. I wait as long as I possibly can to tell people what I do for a living when, when they're strangers sometimes because they do. People get a little, a little funny on that. And I, the thought hit me was, who cares what Scott Applegate thinks about the words that you're saying. He's a sinner just like everybody else. God's always with us. The Lord is always with us. He's the one that we should be concerned about. I get it. You know, we don't say words around grandma. We don't say words around mom that we, you say somewhere else. And there's a respect that comes with that. But remember, God is the one that we're, we're, is always with us. Paul says this. This is such an important verse, guys. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's a promise, that we can let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. When we yield, when we walk in the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, he'll lead and guide us. I want to transition into communion. We're going to take the communion elements. We're getting ready to take the bread and the cup together. A couple things before we move into that. Maybe God has convicted you this morning. God's convicted you and said, you know, you don't speak words of life. You have, you know, spoke negative words. Maybe you're in a season of complaining. I don't know, but you know. I can't think of a better way to respond to Almighty God's conviction than taking communion. Because when you take that bread and you break it, we remember the words of Jesus who said, this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you, beaten, battered for your sin. I'm going to atone for your sin. And when we eat it, we're receiving forgiveness. We're receiving cleansing. We're detoxing from the junk that has infiltrated our hearts. And then when we take the juice and we drink it, 
we're remembering what Jesus said when he said this, this cup. He, he took his disciples and he, he said, this cup represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. The new co- that ushers in a new covenant. How to relate to God. How do you have a relationship with God? It's through Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And on, on that day when we stand before God and all of us are going to, our words are going to acquit us or they're going to condemn us. And the only way we're going to get acquitted is to be justified by a God who looks at his son who lived a perfect life, lived the law perfectly, never sinned, and he was in our place. He was our substitute. And so when you take communion, you're saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and he's my savior. And so he cleanses you from all those wrongdoings, all those things that God convicts us with. I would ask you this morning, have you made that step of faith and said, you know what? I'm not going to trust in my own righteousness. I'm not going to trust in my own ability. I'm going to put my faith and hope in Jesus today. I'm going to turn away from sin and selfishness. I'm going to turn to Jesus and let him begin to work in my life. If you make that step today for the first time, you're not going to become perfect Justification is God declaring us holy and not guilty based upon our faith in Jesus. Sanctification is where God makes us practically day in and day out from here to eternity, changes us day by day. Sanctification is not the gospel. Justification by faith alone, what Paul talks about in Romans and Galatians over and over, that is the gospel. Self-help, behavior modification, that's not the gospel. It's only the good news of what Jesus did freely for us. Is there something that you need to give over to God this morning before we take communion? Is there something you need to say, Lord, take this part of my heart? Is there someone maybe you need to apologize to? Close your eyes with me for a second. Let God begin to bring to your mind that area that he's convicting that broken relationship, that person that maybe you've hurt with your words. Just tell him today, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. Lord, I receive that from you. Lord, I give you every room in my heart. Lord, those rooms in my heart that I want to reserve for myself, I give over to you. Cleanse me, Lord Jesus. Spirit of God, fall fresh on me today, on us. Fill us fresh and new. Detox my mind. Detox my heart. Detox my words that would speak life. 